Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Here's everything you might have missed in She-Hulk Episode 1. Welcome back, folks, to our weekly breakdown of all things She-Hulk. The Jade Giantess has her own Disney Plus series at long last, and while it's a bit lighter on the world-ending stakes, it's heavy on the MCU deep cuts, easter eggs, and hidden details. We're gonna break it all down for you in just a moment, but to do so we have to spoil what happens in She-Hulk Episode 1. So if you haven't seen it yet and you're worried about that sort of thing, leave now before you see something truly shocking. Okay, let's get into it, shall we? The first episode of She-Hulk does a lot of necessary table setting. It's framed as a flashback before Deputy District Attorney Jennifer Walters goes to argue a very important case in court. During her initial closing argument rehearsal, we get one of the core theses of the MCU's multiverse saga. What is the responsibility of those with power? It's something that echoes Uncle Ben's famous line. With great power comes great responsibility. As we'll see in this show, the rise in superhuman activity in the MCU has created a need for superhuman law. We've seen attempts in the past like the Sokovia Accords, but now it's spreading beyond the Avengers. Organizations like Damage Control run maximum security prisons and actively use Stark Industries technology to hunt down enhanced individuals like we saw in Ms. Marvel. Now, this perceived need for heightened security is also what will likely ultimately lead to the creation of the Thunderbolts, presumably the group that Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine is recruiting behind the scenes. And as increasing amounts of people in the Marvel Universe get access to superhuman abilities, they need a group they can control on their own. Anyway, back to the matter at hand. We see UCLA merch galore and Ruth Bader Ginsburg memorabilia on the shelves as Jen's best friend Ginger mentions the Savage Jen Walters look. This is a subtle reference to the Savage She-Hulk, the character's first comic book series. Jen mentions that she's going up against GLKNH, a law firm she works for in the comics and as we know from the trailers on this show as well. GLKNH stands for Goodman, Lieber, Kurtzberg, and Holloway. Created by Dan Slott and Audie Granoff, GLKNH first appeared in She-Hulk number two. It's named for Marvel Comics founder Martin Goodman and the two chief architects of the Marvel Universe, Stan Lee, born Stanley Lieber, and Jack Kirby, born Jacob Kurtzberg. As for Holloway, that's Holden Holloway, the opposing counsel in the courtroom later on, and the only one of these partners we ever actually meet in the comics. Jen immediately demonstrates one of her signature abilities, the power to break the fourth wall. Let me get you up to speed. In an arc all about the multiverse, it makes sense that our reality would be included among the vastness of the cosmos. So you can just call us Earth 6-1 sucks because look around, it's pretty bad here. In a flashback, we see Jen on a road trip with her cousin, Bruce Banner. We see that Bruce's arm is still in a sling after Endgame, and he developed an inhibitor device to keep himself back in human form. This explains his human appearance in the post credit scene of Shang-Chi as well. Jen eats Cheetos from a bag with chopsticks a la another MCU icon, Moon Knight himself, Oscar Isaac. Jen then gets even spicier when she starts to ask Bruce if America's ass ever got some ass. But like Captain America's buttocks, we'll come back to that later on. That is America's ass. 
A Sakaran Class A courier craft suddenly appears on the road in front of them, sending Bruce, Jen, and the Cheetos hurtling off the road. Jen's MCU She-Hulk origin story differs from how it happens in the comics. It wasn't the result of a mafia hit gone awry, but rather a car crash as we speculated in our trailer breakdown. Now the through line here in both cases is that Bruce Banner's blood mixes with Jen's, leading to her acquiring some of his Hulk powers thanks to their shared DNA. And with Jen cutting herself on the car door before hulking out, there's a potential homage to the original Incredible Hulk TV series. In that show, David Banner cuts himself while changing a flat tire, which in turn causes him to hulk out, the ultimate form of road rage. Now, given the more overt homage to that show we saw in the trailers, it's entirely possible that this was intentional as well. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Let's go back to that Sakaran ship for a moment. Why is it here on Earth? Well, many folks are speculating that it could be setting up the Planet Hulk and eventually World War Hulk storylines from the comics. In the comics, the Illuminati deemed that Hulk was too big of a threat for Earth, so they yeeted his ass into outer space. He wound up on the planet Sakaar, where he fought in gladiatorial death matches and eventually conquered the planet. Now, along the way, Hulk smashed and fathered two kids, Scar and Hero Kala. So the question is, did Hulk make like Korg and get his rocks off on Sakaar? Well, as we learned in Ragnarok, he was in Hulk form on that world for two long years. Hulk, always Hulk. So anything's possible. We'll keep you posted and Rosie Knight has even more details for you over on Nerdist.com in the meantime. Now, when Jen wakes up from hulking out, she finds herself at Ideal Sports Bar, a real bar near Atlanta, Georgia, where Marvel shoots many of their projects. Next door is a rocks on gas station referencing the fictional conglomerate we've seen in Iron Man, Agent Carter, and Loki, just to name a few. Now, inside the bar, there's a QR code on the wall, which leads to a free copy of the Savage She-Hulk number one, her very first comic book appearance. What follows is Jen delivering a well-deserved ass-beating to some idiots outside before she ultimately wakes up at Bruce's compound in Mexico. Bruce is back in Hulk form, calling himself Smart Hulk. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't come up with it. While the comics usually refer to this version as Professor Hulk, the Avengers Endgame screenwriters called him Smart Hulk in the screenplay, hence the joke about how Bruce didn't come up with it himself. I didn't come up with it. You use it, implied endorsement. Don't lawyer me. Narratively speaking, we learn the combination of this inhibitor device and this lab is how Bruce spent the blip working on himself and integrating his Bruce Banner and Hulk identities. Best of both worlds. This is the Gamma Lab that Hulk referenced back in Avengers Endgame. We also learn that Tony Stark built this place specially for Bruce, and the two of them built a tiki bar as well to let off steam, even carving their initials into the wood. In Bruce's living room, we can see one of the Iron Legion helmets from Tony's autonomous Iron Man drones that we saw in Iron Man 3 and in Avengers Age of Ultron. Given Bruce and Tony's role in creating Ultron, it's likely the latter as a reminder of what can happen when science is wielded improperly. Behind that, on a different pedestal, you can see another helmet, the one that Hulk wore as a gladiator back on Sakaar. After performing tests on Jen, he determines that their genetic factors let them synthesize gamma radiation. But even more surprising is that Bruce was able to use Jen's blood to completely heal his arm. Oh, because I'm better than you? Bruce immediately destroys Jen's blood sample, though, to prevent someone creating another Hulk, which seems like one of the larger overarching plots of the series. Based on the imposing hypodermic needles we glimpsed in the trailer, it's safe to assume someone's going to try and steal Jen's blood or Bruce's blood to try and recreate a Hulk. A bit dramatic. 
Bruce's line about becoming a Hulk being a multi-year journey of about 15 years, give or take, is actually a fun metatextual reference to the fact that the Incredible Hulk movie came out in 2008 and will celebrate its 15th anniversary next year. Wow. When Bruce tries to determine Jen's triggers for hulking out, she mentions Bing Bong in Inside Out, a scene that once made me cry like a giant baby on an airplane after I had like four tiny ones. Anyway, folks, tell me, what movie always makes you cry? Let me know in the comments below so I don't feel so alone. We then get fun tongue-in-cheek allusions to Bruce's adventures over the years, talking about the times he fell out of a plane in Incredible Hulk and Ragnarok, getting knocked out by Hulkbuster in Age of Ultron, and Natasha doing her weird sun's getting real low buddy thing in Age of Ultron as well. I don't have a great explanation for it. Hulk also mentioned his stint on Sakaar during Thor Ragnarok, but you know what he didn't mention? Having those kids, folks. We may need to instate a scar watch if this keeps up. I gotta get to the bottom of that. Now, while we've seen more recognizable shirts at Hulk's compound, like a Led Zeppelin tee, which may have been Tony's, and a Nirvana tee, we also see Bruce wearing a shirt with the design of the Thunderbird, a mythical creature in many indigenous and Native American cultures. And while I'd love to say the mutant Thunderbird is definitely bound for the MCU, that's probably gonna take a little bit longer, like probably after Secret Wars. Although Jen excels at the physical aspects of Hulk training, she has far less patience for the mindfulness and dialectical behavioral therapy aspects of it. I thought it was about getting my butt tight as hell. Up top. She and Bruce both do a lot better at knocking back many times their body weight in alcohol. <laughs> With a Hulk pinata behind the bar, they get hammered as Hulk reminisces about Tony sitting around and complaining about Steve during the hard time that was the blip. Jen then pulls a Luke Skywalker when she tries to leave her mindfulness-obsessed green teacher before her training is complete. And despite everything that Bruce has done, Jen views him as a cautionary tale, someone whose entire life was taken away from him in exchange for these powers. During their fight, we see Jen and Bruce use their sonic claps against each other, proving again just how effective sonic weapons can be against hulks and symbiotes. Last seen in Mexico, but probably not in this show. But maybe. Anyway, after helping repair Bruce's bar, Jen goes back to her normal life in Los Angeles. Of course, life has other plans for her as we see Titania bust through the courtroom wall like the Kool-Aid man during Jen's closing argument. First appearing in 1984's Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars number 3, Titania was the alter ego of Mary McFerrin. Constantly bullied as a child, Mary leapt at the chance for superpowers when she found herself mysteriously transported to Battleworld by the Beyonder. She went on to be a major thorn in She-Hulk's side, as we'll see in this show. But here, she serves mainly as a way at the moment to make Jen's secret identity public information as she hulks out and beats Titania's ass. Now, during the end credits, a few details to note are the S.H.I.E.L.D. logo on the paperwork on Jen's desk and the scene of She-Hulk at Muscle Beach in Venice, California. This is an homage to Joe Jusco's painting of She-Hulk at Muscle Beach from the 1990s. And last but not least, we finally get an answer to one of the silliest questions in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Back to what I was saying before. Was Captain America actually a virgin? What? It's one of those stupid hypothetical questions that many fans have asked themselves and each other over the years. And now we have canonical proof that Hulk isn't the only one who smashes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Or to put it in Jen's words... Captain America, fuck! Anyway, folks, there you have it. That's everything you might have missed in She-Hulk Episode 1. We'll have plenty of other deep dives waiting for you on Nerdist as well. 
In the meantime, though, tell us, what did you think of the first episode? Did you spot anything that we missed? I'm ready to give my closing argument now. Let us know in the comments below, and for the latest and greatest in the world of pop culture, make sure you stay tuned to Nerdist.com.